With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Andy Staples on 3. Big, big show for you today. We got Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl. We talk to him every two weeks about all the guys that are blowing up on the field in college potentially making themselves some money in the draft. We've got a lot to talk about with him because we need to preview that Penn State, Ohio State game, the matchups between players that we're going to be seeing come draft season, who can really shine against the best competition. That's going to be a fun one. Plus, you know, Jim, real proud that they had Tyson Bagent from Shepherd College in their game, Division II, last year. He's going to start for the Bears this weekend, so... We're going to have Jim give us some, some jewels, some diamonds in the rough, small school guys to watch who could be very good going forward. But let's go to the big schools, the five stars at the big schools specifically. One of the biggest games this week, and we're going to talk to Brent Hubs from VolQuest later in the show about it, is Tennessee going to Alabama. We read the message boards. We, we, we know what is bugging you guys when something's going on. And with Alabama, right now, you cannot stop talking about the left tackle situation. You've got a true freshman named Caden Proctor, five-star guy from Iowa, starting in that position. He looks the part, looks like a million bucks, but has not played well at all. Against Arkansas, Landon Jackson just dominated on that side mostly. Jackson had three and a half sacks. Jalen Milrow ended up getting sacked five times total. And Proctor just did not seem to have any answers. And they tried Elijah Pritchett. That didn't work either. It seems like Proctor's the guy going forward. But what's interesting is J.C. Latham had a pretty good game at right tackle. And so Nick Saban got a question this week about, well, why don't you just move J.C. Latham to the left side? And, and I saw on the message board, same thing. Why was that not done the second Tyler Steen left? It's a really good question. And I thought Nick Saban gave a very interesting answer to that question. Just what have you seen from J.C. Latham and what went into him staying on the right side, whereas some guys might have made the move to the left previously? Um, well, he's really a good right tackle. He's played really well, obviously being – SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week. He had a really good game in the last game. And, you know, he's big, strong, physical. He's the prototype, you know, right tackle that everybody would look for in terms of having a power guy who is effective, you know, in being able to pass block well enough. Um, you know, there's, you know, I, I, I guess you always hope that um, if we move the right tackle to the left tackle, that would make everything better. But I guess the question you have to also ask yourself is, would that make us any better at right tackle? Um, 
or do you just try to attack the solution of trying to get the left tackle to play to the standard that you need him to play without making multiple changes in the offensive line? So, you know, we could have a, a debate about that. Um, and nobody really knows the answer to that, but we, we, we have made a commitment to try to keep some stability with the guys where they're playing and get the guys to play uh, left tackle better. We could have a debate about that, Nick Saban says. Translation, I'll win that debate. But it, it's very interesting because it is something that you've seen with Alabama before. DJ Fluker was one who had excelled at right tackle. They lose a left tackle. They didn't move him. They ended up keeping him at right tackle. So we, we've seen Alabama do this before. And we've seen other guys try the move. Like Darnell Wright, great example. Tennessee player. He, he finished last season. He was a first-round draft pick of the Bears this year. Tennessee tried Darnell Wright at left tackle. He was a lot better at right tackle, so they left him there. And in this situation, I agree with Nick Saban because J.C. Latham is doing a good job at right tackle. You don't want to risk moving him to the left side, maybe moving Caden Proctor to the right side, and you still have issues with Caden Proctor on the right, and now J.C. Latham is adjusting to a position he's not as familiar with, not as comfortable with. And I know what you're saying. It's tackle. You're playing tackle either way. The plays go both ways. Okay. Well, let, let's talk about your dominant hand. Let's talk about are you right-handed or left-handed? If you're right-handed, if somebody asked you to suddenly start doing almost everything with your left hand or to start everything with your left hand, and then you could move to your right, do you think you'd feel comfortable with that? That's what you ask someone to do when you have them move sides on the offensive line. You're asking someone who's playing out of a right-handed stance to suddenly start playing out of a left-handed stance or vice versa if, say, you were to move Caden Proctor over to the right side. That is not the easiest thing in the world, especially when you have monsters like Landon Jackson on the other side. Or in this particular case, with Tennessee coming to town, monsters like James Pierce and Tyler Barron on the other side. It's not that easy. So what Alabama is trying to do is minimize the disruption and deal with the growing pains. And it, that see, it seems to be what Nick Saban is saying here, that Caden Proctor will eventually play to the standard. He's a five-star guy, physically has all the tools. If you talk to our friend Cole Kublik from the SEC Network, Cole's an ex-center at Auburn, great, great evaluator of offensive line technique and explainer of offensive line technique. And, and he'll tell you that Caden Proctor, not the most technically proficient in terms of his pass sets, his kick slide, it, it starts fine and then it kind of you, you kind of lose it or feet come together. And then also he tends to overextend and bear hug rather than get his hands and shoot them into that pass rusher to stun him and slow him down. Those are things that he has to work on. Those are things that Eric Wolford, the offensive line coach at Alabama, has to work on him with or work on with him. But it sounds like what Nick Saban is saying is that he thinks Caden Proctor will come through the other side. And again, offensive linemen like Caleb, like Caden Proctor coming out of high school, you, that, that, those human beings don't exist in a great number, in great quantity. It's not often 
that a place like Alabama is starting a freshman at left tackle. Now, perhaps Caden Proctor wouldn't have started as a true freshman in, in previous years. We've seen that happen. We've seen Alabama start a true freshman at left tackle. They did it with Cam Robinson. But I remember Jeff Stoutland, who is now the, the great, great offensive line coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. He was recruiting Cam, uh, Cam Robinson because he was the O-line coach at Alabama at the time. And he said he was the best high school offensive lineman he'd ever seen. So he was ready to step in and play at that point. Kane Proctor, in other years when Alabama was deeper, might not have been. But this is the transfer portal era. You know, Damian George played at Alabama last year. He's, he's Florida's right tackle right now. Uh, Javian Cohen, who, who was a guard at Alabama last year. He's a starting guard at Miami right now. Uh, Tommy Brockermeyer. He's a backup tackle at TCU. He was a backup at Alabama. But that, that's the sort of depth that they probably would have tried some other things with if they've had those guys still there. But instead, they get the freshman ready. Now, I think what Nick Saban is hinting at is he believes that eventually Caden Proctor is going to be just fine and that this will be worth it. But the question of why don't you just move J.C. Latham from right to left doesn't necessarily solve the problem. And that is going to be that matchup to watch in the Alabama-Tennessee game. And again, we'll talk about that with Brent Hubbs later in the show. But that left tackle spot, whether it's Proctor or Pritchett against whoever Tennessee has lined up, because sometimes they'll flip to strength. But Pierce and Barron, especially Pierce, very good pass rushers. They're probably going to try to pick on Caden Proctor with Pierce. If you watched Landon Jackson play last week, of course, that's what you're going to do. You you find the vulnerability and you, and you attack it. But that has to be better because if Jalen Milrow is being harassed and hit as much as he was against Arkansas, Alabama could be in trouble against Tennessee. So that spot has to get better. So like Nick Saban said, the, the, basically he said, there's no rescue coming. You're it. So you've got to play better. And this is how we're rolling. It's going to be fascinating to watch on Saturday. Absolutely fascinating. Also fascinating will be that Penn State, Ohio State game, which it's not going to decide the Big Ten, but it will at least help chart the course. We've got this triumvirate of games in the Big Ten. This one, then we get Michigan-Penn State on November 11th, then Michigan-Ohio State in the regular season finale. They are going to determine who wins the Big Ten because probably Iowa coming out the other side. And all three of those teams are going to beat Iowa in the, in the Big Ten championship game. I, spoiler alert, I know. But this will be a great game, great matchups, some really key players. And the reason I've been saying I like Penn State in the Big Ten this year is it feels like they have the most special NFL-type high-round talent that they've had in a long time, that it, that it kind of matches what Ohio State has in that department and what Michigan has in that department, which it has not been the case. When we come back, we'll talk to Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl about some of those players and about how they match up against their Ohio State counterparts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are joined now by Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. And we talk to Jim every two weeks. And it seems like every time we talk to you, Jim, there is a massive matchup looming where a bunch of guys that you're looking at for your game are about to play each other. And you can kind of get a, a sense of where everybody is. This Ohio State-Penn State game looks like a lot of fun. And I imagine for, for your scouts, there's a lot to look at. Yeah, it's a big boy matchup, Andy, for sure. Uh, we've seen both these t- both these teams play uh, a couple times already this year, but but not in a type of matchup game that this will be. I mean, this is one of those games literally as a scout, like you don't really know where to train your eyes because there's there's one-on-one matchups all over the field. So this will be a fun one. What what of of all these one-on-ones, what are you most excited to watch? Oh man, uh, <laughs> there's some good ones. Obviously, the the offensive tackles for for Penn State. Olu Fashanu is is a great one, and everyone talks about Olu. But Caden Wallace is a really good player as well. Uh, you know, in the trenches there against Ty Hamilton, was watching a lot of that Ohio State defense um, last night. So Ty Hamilton's a really good player. We had his brother here in the Senior Bowl a couple of years ago. Uh, Devon Hamilton, great player for Jacksonville oh, yeah. Jaguars now. Um, but then on the second level, like Steel Chambers, Tommy Eichenberg, um, they're two safeties who are going to be up there near the box. Josh Proctor's having a, you know, a really cool bounce back um, season after a little bit of a down year last year. Uh, Lathan Ransom has taken a nice step forward this year as a player. So um, some of the trench work, I think, will uh, be focused in on uh, on the guys inside. The the Penn State defense seems to have have, have really carried them this far. Who who on that group do, do you are you looking at? Knows that they've got some younger guys, you know, Chop Robinson, Abdul Carter, <laughs> Kalen King, who are, are not necessarily seniors yet. But who are the older guys that that you've been impressed by? Yeah, I've had a lot of scouts call and be like, "Is Chop Robinson eligible to play in your game?" And I'm like, "He no, seems like, old." I yeah. like, they're like, "God, he's a good player." So I I haven't watched much of him, but I know he's good just based on what what the scout feedback is. But um, the guy opposite him, you know, Adisa Isaac had a really yeah. had a, had a, another. Another strong game. He's played pretty well all season, but I think, you know, statistically broke, broke through with had two or three sacks this past week. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting to that tape. I'm actually going to watch that later this afternoon. But like Curtis Jacob, uh, Curtis Jacobs lead him in, in, in tackles. You know, Johnny Dixon at corner is a guy that we feel like's had a, had a better year this year than last year. He's taken a nice jump. So, uh, but I'd say right now, like Adisa Isaac is a guy that in, a, in what like right now looks like it's going to be a thinner edge class. Mm-hmm. Then maybe we've had the last couple of years. Um, he's a guy that certainly helped himself so far. So I, I don't know what this means in the scouting world. We learned this about Adisa at Big Ten Media Day. Does not eat shrimp. Not Ooh. a shrimp guy. Jeez, and that's not uh, that's not good for coming down here on the Gulf Coast. I thought we, you know, usually usually we win guys over with uh, with our with our Gulf seafood once we get them down here. So we will. Well, uh, it, it might have been that it was at St. <laughs> Elmo and covered in the in the horseradish sauce. So we. we I think you got a shot. You 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 take him for some good barbecued shrimp head on kind of thing. We we may you may be able to to convert him, but yeah, that's a that's such a fun game. And when when you guys are watching, how much does that level of competition change the way you you watch or the you know how you evaluate the performance? 
Well, the the matchups are one part of it. Just seeing good against good. There's no doubt when you want to you want to see NFL prospects against NFL prospects. But but there's something to be said for the environment as well. Um, those big stage games. I mean, guys guys shrink and guys rise to the occasion. It happens. I mean, there's something to it. And it's not in every case. Um, but if you watch enough of those games over a guy's career and he's consistently playing up in big stage games like that, it, it's it's something you got to bring up as a scout. Um, it's something that that helps you build conviction on a player because what's the ultimate goal once you get them on your NFL team? It's to get to the playoffs and have guys make plays in the playoffs. We've seen a lot of guys that once we get to playoff time, I think of like Frank Clark for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, we drafted Frank when I was in Seattle. And now to see him go on to Kansas City and really be a big game player for them and going way back in, into my my time in the NFL, like Rodney Harrison was a guy for us in New England that I think there was a stretch there. Rodney had seven turnover, forced turnovers in like six playoff games wow. in, in one of those good stretches we had um, in New England. So, so yeah, guys, guys are going to be looking for stuff like that. We'll be right back with more from Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl. But first, I want to tell you about Roback. Yeah. I'm wearing my Roback Performance hoodie. It is the most comfortable garment I own. I have five different versions of it. This is the navy blue one. I got the black one. I got the green one that matches my eyes. They're all amazing. Roback makes sure you are comfortable and can move. All of their stuff is soft and it just fits you in all the right places. It's got just enough stretch that you don't feel like it's tight. But it's also not just billowing all over the place. Performance hoodies, performance polos, the Q-zips, the joggers, the shorts, they got it all. And as the weather cools down, those performance polos will become your absolute go-to. So go to Roback.com, R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. Use the promo code STAPLES for 20% off your first order. I'm telling you right now, you're going to get one of these performance hoodies. You're going to put it on. You're never going to want to take it off, but you have to. You have to wash it every once in a while. Oh, no, by the way, Roback stuff holds up great in the wash. Roback.com, promo code Staples, 20% off your first order. Go get yourself a performance hoodie. You will not regret it for a second. Roback.com, promo code Staples. So let's talk about some of these other guys you've been watching over the past few weeks. One guy who's been in the news all year is Tez Walker. We haven't gotten to see him play until he played against Syracuse a couple weeks ago. And then this past weekend against Miami was the first time he's gotten to play after a full week of practice with the ones. And of course he catches three touchdown passes. Uh, I imagine you, you'd seen Kent state tape on him, but, but what did you think of his first, uh, first full outing for North Carolina? Well, just amazing that he can come back. Um, you would think you would be rusty. Um, that certainly wasn't the case. Uh, yeah, we like the Kent State tape. I mean, there was, again, there were some cool playoff games for them last year when they played at Georgia. And he, and he caught a, a quick hitch and took it to the house against a fast Georgia defense. So we knew he was explosive. He can get down the field and make plays. And then when you have a deep ball thrower, um, like, like Drake may that can really play to your strengths as a player. I mean, that's, that's a great marriage right there. So it didn't surprise us, um, uh, that Tez can make an impact like that. We thought he would going into the season, but coming off that long rest and that break and just having that chemistry, um, was really cool to see. Yeah. Three touchdowns in the, in the first game back was, that was pretty huge. So let, let's keep it in the ACC. Another guy that, that you guys seem pretty high on is, uh, is MJ Devonshire, the DB 
from Pittsburgh. He had a huge play in that win against Louisville this weekend. What what have you liked about him? Yeah, MJ is a guy that uh, you know we've just been looking for some more consistency with. And again, the other night, like we, he was one of our players of the week this week, but it wasn't perfect. It wasn't a perfect game. He he gave up a touchdown early. He had a PI in another red zone series early. Um, but what in, in a great matchup against, against Jamari Thrash from Louisville, mm-hmm. who's had an awesome year since transferring over from from Georgia State, one of the best receiver your senior receivers in this year's draft class. Um, but to see MJ battle back and battle through that adversity, he had five PBUs the other night. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, that's, that's a season for some guys to get their hands on five balls and, and they were testing him down the field and and thrash can really run. Um, and so for him to make plays down the field and show up in coverage and, and really show the NFL that short memory that you're going to need to have to play at that level. Um, it was a cool game. It was a cool game because it wasn't perfect. Um, it was a bad weather game. Footing wasn't great. Um, and just the, just the mental resiliency to come back against another good NFL future NFL player, um, in battle. Um, that's what you want to see. So one of the guys I forgot to ask you about in the Ohio state Penn state matchup is, is Cade Stover. Who's uh, you've seen you guys put out some stuff on him. He's fascinating to me because he's a tight end, uh, in an offense that features some great receivers where the, the targets for the tight end probably are going to be a little bit down because you can throw to Marvin Harrison Jr. You can throw to Emeka Buka. But it does seem like Cade, more than any of the, the, the recent Ohio State tight ends, is a pretty big contributor in the pass game. That's right. And he's and he's on pace right now to break uh, Ricky Dudley's record back from the 90s. I mean, we're going way, way back now. So, uh, And we've had some Ohio State tight ends of the game. I think Jeremy Ruckert was the last one. Uh, but, you know, with Cade, to me, the difference this year with Cade he looks a little quicker. Um, again, without talking to the strength staff up there, I, I don't know what goes into that, but some guys just come back for, for their last year and, and they look a little different as a player. And sometimes that's technique. Sometimes they look like better athletes. Um, and Cade's always been a good athlete. He was a big time high school running back. He was Mr. Football in the state of Ohio. Um, so he's always been a good athlete, but there just looks a little twitchier. And then uh, I think, you know, big picture with him as a prospect, what NFL teams are really going to like is the guy played linebacker. I mean, he's got like four starts at linebacker and a couple starts at defensive end over his time at Ohio State, and he's played over 500 special team snaps. So, uh, you know, those are those are going to be big-time things when you get into April and you start stacking that tight end group um, and where it shakes down. One, he can put his hand in the dirt. He's a tough kid. He's a farm kid. Um, yeah. He's Like you said, he's on pace to break the, the Ohio State receiving record for tight ends. And he's played in the kicking game and he's played on defense. So there's a lot to like with Cade. Yeah, he he fills the farm kid quota that, that Cody Mock filled last year for you guys. Yeah, so, yeah he, he yeah, checks you gotta, that box. Checks you got to have the guy who grew up on the farm. So uh, another guy that that looked pretty good this past week, uh, Missouri Edge, Darius Robinson. Yeah, and, and Andy, I know you saw him at SEC Media Days when we yeah. were up there. And uh, they don't make him look any prettier. He's, he's 6'5", 290, 200, 295 pounds. Um, Big broad shoulders, long arms, big hands. I mean, he he is exactly how you would draw him up. Um, and they're playing him a little differently. And he and I talked about that at Media Days, is that they're playing him out on the edge more. He's like a jumbo edge player right now. He's matched up against tight ends, and he's absolutely abusing them. Um, and this week was, was probably his best game. Um, he's always played hard, but he's really playing with leverage right now. I mean, he's getting after the quarterback, and that's what teams are going to want to see. So he's really versatile. He's athletic enough to move out there. We've seen that. 
He's big and tough enough to move inside. He can play with leverage. He can play with pad level. So just a really cool player. Um, and I really like where his head was at. When we were in Nashville, um, he asked me, he said, he said, you know, Jim, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, Darius, what, what is it? He's like, why didn't I get an invite to the senior bowl last year? Um, and, and, and I told him, I said, Darius, I just revisited all your tape before I came up here. And man, I, I don't have a great reason for you, man. You're, you're right there at the cut line and you're definitely good enough to get in. Um, and it was just the way he asked the question, man. It was, yeah. it was, he's focused, he's locked in. So it's cool to see him playing the way he's playing this year as a senior. Are you seeing more of that, that the heavier guys out on the edge, uh, you know, like we saw Landon Jackson dominate this weekend for Arkansas. Now he's six, seven, so he, he can carry a little more weight, but Kentucky's used Deion Walker out there. And I, he's not, he's a guy who's a little young for your game, but he's a, he's a 330 pound guy that they'll play on the edge. Sometimes is it, is that to create a mismatch? I, it certainly, and I just think we're seeing bigger, more athletic people, man. I just think it's, you know, over the last 10 years, I mean, these guys just keep getting bigger and, and more athletic and, and it does, it creates a mismatch. If you, if you want a guy that you can find bigger body, thicker bodied guys can sit it, sit in there and, and muck it up inside. What you can't find is, is guys with length. I mean, that have quickness that can play out there. And that's the thing that Darius showed the other day is that um, could you find it maybe a little faster guy out there that can close from the backside, but, but just with his range, just with his reach and the range he has, the, the length of his frame, I mean, it's hard to get outside of him. I mean, if you're trying yeah. to, if you're trying to set an edge and you got a guy that can manhandle tight ends, um, that is a cool matchup for sure. Yeah. I can't imagine trying to reach block somebody with that kind of wingspan. <laughs> it's just, it's not how he's just reaching around you. So uh, one guy that, that, everybody was talking about over the weekend. It was the, the, the focus, you know, the game everybody was focusing on Michael Penix jr. And he's one that I, I've wondered about from you guys standpoint, because you look at things a little bit differently than, than say the, the average college football fan looks at it. We look at Michael Penix and he's just putting up these gaudy numbers and it's crazy. You're looking at him from a, a scout standpoint where he's got the medicals from three season ending injuries. How is, is he, you know, kind of faring right now. And is he increasing his draft stock? He absolutely is. And last week was a really big game for him. Um, you know, going into that game, I, I read some stat that going into last Saturday, Bo Nix was the least pressured quarterback um, in college football. And I think Michael Penix Jr. was like the fifth least pressured quarterback. So again, a lot, you turned on the tape up, up to last Saturday, it was a lot of pitch and catch stuff. Um, and you, so what you saw in that game was both defenses kind of heated those guys up. Both those defenses, Oregon and Washington, have, have future NFL dudes on their team. Um, and so Michael, I mean, he kept doing what he's been doing just against better people um, and doing it with people in his face um, and, and in the tighter windows with good coverage from guys like Kyrie Jackson on the Oregon side. So, um, yeah, like you brought up the medical and, and, and some of that other stuff and the age, I think is going to come into play for NFL teams when they're stacking this thing. Um, but man, he's doing all he can do right now in that offense. And yeah, you can make an argument. He's, he's got great playmakers and a lot was made on ESPN over the weekend of what, where those three receivers rank, maybe the best in college football. Uh, but Michael Penix Jr. to put the ball where he does down the field and that quick strike ability, man, is, is, uh, it's a really cool thing to have. And when, when, when Oregon went for it on fourth late in the game and they let Michael Penix get back out there in a minute and a half and then boom, boom, two plays later the, in the end zone. I mean, that to me, that was the Washington offense and that was Michael Penix Jr. in a nutshell. I mean, it's that quick strike explosive ability. 
And if you're an NFL team, who wouldn't want that? You know, like to me, yeah. I always think, well, what, what, where would L Davis take this guy? If L Davis, uh, <laughs> God rest his soul, were still Maybe with a little, us. So, a little higher this, than anybody else. <laughs> yeah, this guy, this guy would be the, the, you know, he'd be the Raiders first round pick for sure. We got to, we got to talk about one of your guys you had last year though. Tyson Bajan, Shepherd College, D2. You were, you guys were on him in the preseason last year. He came, played your game. He is going to start for the Bears this week because Justin Fields has a dislocated thumb. In honor of Tyson Bajant and yet another Senior Bowl success story, can you give us a couple small school gems that we need to be paying attention to right now this college football season? Well, I will say this. The uh, NIL in uh, Portal is hurting the small school level in terms of uh, Senior Bowl. We, 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 we don't like that. A lot of these guys are transferring up for their last year. But I'll throw a couple names at you. Jalix Hunt um, mm. is a former Cornell player who's now at Houston Christian. Um, big, long edge guy. Played safety um, in the Ivy League. And now he's kind of a big outside linebacker, hybrid type player. Uh, we went and saw him play a few weeks ago at Southeastern Louisiana. Really intriguing dude. Um, just from a length and traits perspective. He's the type of guy that everyone's kind of targeting right now in the fifth, sixth round. So he's Wait, an he, he was a safety he was a safety and he he's just six, four two fifty. I know. And he just keeps growing. So yeah, he's uh he's a cool one. Um, I'll bring, and then like Dylan Lobb, go to the other side of the ball. Dylan Lobb, the running back at New Hampshire, um, who we kind of profiled earlier in the year, set an NCAA all divisions record for running backs. I think he had 12 or 13 catches for like 297 against central Michigan early in the year. And he's, and he's really the type of back that the NFL is looking for right now because you can line him up out in the slot. I mean, he's not just a leak him out of the backfield, you know, hit him in the screen game. He can legitimately run detached routes and get open and, and track and catch the ball down the football field. So um, those are a couple, I mean, we, we went through the small school list yesterday. Um, there's probably 10 to 12 guys that'll be in the mix. And again, we want to bring the guys the NFL will want to see. So we'll have those conversations with the teams when we get to that stage of the process here in a few weeks. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's drying up a little bit because of portal. Right. Uh, you you would have, a, you would have had a Johnny Cornelius in a Rhode Island helmet. This that's is, right. But now everybody sees him playing for Oregon. That's right. That's a, that's a perfect example of a guy that, that would have been a, a guy for us at a small school and, and transferred up. So yeah, it's uh, it's drying up a little bit, but there's still, if, if you watch these guys enough, there's still a lot of good small school players out there. That's I love I love it. I'm always like, how do they find this guy? And and you do it every year. So Jim, thank you so much. Yeah, Andy, good to see you, man. These uh, these two weeks always go by fast. Uh, enjoy the I week. Know, enjoy I... enjoy that Penn State Ohio State. That's going to be a great one. Cannot wait. <laughs> Thanks so much to Jim Nagy for breaking all those players down. A lot to watch for this weekend. Another player we want to watch that that Jim's not going to have on his radar for a while because he's a true freshman. Five-star Kansas State quarterback Avery Johnson scored five touchdowns against Texas Tech last week. He's listed as an or with Will Howard as a starter for the TCU game, but it sounds like it could be him. We will have Derek Young from K-State Online later in this show to talk about the excitement of maybe the five-star guy, the local guy, the potential superhero taking over at QB at K-State. Not a done deal yet, but it's definitely a possibility. And it could change some things in the Big 12 if he's as good as advertised. But first, we're going to get back to talking about that Alabama-Tennessee game. We talked to Tim Watts from Bama Online the other day. 
broke down the Crimson Tide. Now it is time to break down the Vols with Brent Hubs of VolQuest. They're running the ball well. Great on the offensive line right now. Great on the defensive line right now. Not so great at quarterback right now. What does that mean? How can Joe Milton be better in a game that Tennessee has to win if it wants to hang in the SEC title race? We write back, Brent Hubs. We are joined now by the great Brent Hubs of VolQuest. Talking Tennessee on the third Tuesday in October, which means the third Saturday in October is coming very shortly. Hubbard, this team, this is not how we expected this to be, but everything is very much in in sight for the Vols still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, college football's crazy. Every time you think you have something figured out, Andy, you realize you don't have anything figured out. And, uh, you know, I think last week's win over Texas A&M for Tennessee was significant, not because Josh Heupel had to have the win. It was significant because, obviously, it keeps everything on the table in front of them. But at some point, Andy, you had to win a game where you didn't score 40 points and win in a shootout, right? I mean, that's the first time Josh Heupel's ever won a game as a head coach where he didn't score 30 points. And, and I think you gotta you got to learn how to win that type of game. When, when, when all you know is 35, 45 points and 500 yards of offense, how do you manage a game – and get to a win. They played field position perfectly, used the kicking game, and, and you know, kind of nursed it home, if you will. And and maybe they're going to have to do that, you know, several more times down the stretch if this team is going to try to keep on the table what they talked about in their preseason goal, which was a chance to win the Eastern Division. Well, and I don't know that we've seen this with any Josh Heupel team, whether at UCF or at Tennessee, where, like, that was a game they won at the line of scrimmage purely. The offensive line played great. They averaged five yards a carry. The defensive line was incredible. They were in Max Johnson's lap pretty much every play. Is that maybe the identity of this team? Well, I don't think you win throwing for 100 yards a game. But, yes, the identity of this team, uh, if they're going to win, is going to be to win in the line of scrimmage. They beat South Carolina in the line of scrimmage. And, obviously, they beat Texas A&M at the line of scrimmage. Now, can they go on the road? and play better on the road. Obviously, they did not play very well at Florida on the road. Had 10 offensive penalties, many of those pre-snap penalties. That was without Cooper Mays at center. They've certainly been better with him at the center position in the run game since he returned, starting with that South Carolina game. But, yeah, if Tennessee's going to win games, they're going to have to win it at the line of scrimmage because this is no, no wide receiver on this team is going for five touchdowns at a game. And I don't think Joe Milton's throwing – for 400 yards in a game. They're going to have to run the football effectively if they're going to have a chance to be where they want to be the back half of this season. I'm glad you brought up Cooper Mays because I'm wondering, is he the most important player on this team? Because it certainly feels like they are a different group than the one that went to Gainesville. Yeah, I joked in the preseason to put him in bubble wrap. Now, I didn't know he was going to have to have a triple hernia and, and, and a procedure uh, of that kind of – but you just could not get him hurt in something in the preseason. Uh, he's got to – you know, can't have an ankle injury. He's got to stay healthy. They are clearly different for two reasons, Andy. One, he's experienced. He understands this offense, plays fast, communicates really well. Two, it's because what they don't have behind him. And this is not a knock on Ollie Lane. I've actually known Ollie Lane since he was a teenager. Ollie Lane never played center in high school, much less at the college level. 
his first road start was in Gainesville, Florida. That's not where you want to start your first career uh, game as a center on the road in the SEC. And and it showed. And, and he did the best he could do for Tennessee. It was good enough against Virginia. It was good enough against Austin P and UT San Antonio. But it was not good enough against Florida. And there is definitely a difference when Cooper Mays is on the field because of the communication and the pace that they play at. And this run game is so unique to me, Andy. I'm not a X's and O's guy. I can't break it all down. But it's fascinating to me just the creases they can create with the spread stuff that they get by emptying that box out and creating those double teams. And Cooper Mays plays the double teams very well with both Javante Spragans and Ollie Lane at right guard and left guard, respectively. Yeah, and, and it is amazing because they have to figure that out, especially with defenses disguising the, how many people they're going to have in the box because they know that Tennessee's counting the box to figure out if they're going to run or throw. It, it it takes somebody who processes really quickly up front, and Cooper Mays really does know this offense. I, I remember talking to him last year, and you can tell that everything is just kind of second nature to him. Yeah, it's really fascinating to, how good he's gotten at it. and um you know, he's a, he's a huge catalyst and, and it shows, I mean, you look at what they did without him and what they're doing with him in the run game um, is obviously vastly different And so much of it is reading. And so much of it is side adjustments, identifying the, you know, who the mic is and, and where somebody may be coming from or what the actual look really is. The other thing that's happened with this run game too, now that they're getting a little chemistry and, and a little bit more in sync, the running backs, Jalen Wright, uh, in particular, has developed great patience with this run game. And it and you've got to be patient with it because you've got to time it upright uh, to, to not overrun the double-team block. You can't get to the linebacker level before uh, the offensive lineman gets there. Um, and, and at the same time, too, you've got to be able to explode when it's time to go. And, and Jalen Wright is just playing really phenomenal football right now at the running back position. And 52% of his yards have come after contact, which is a crazy number. Now, that contact's not coming from defensive linemen. What I'm saying yeah. is he's doing things to safeties and he's doing things to linebackers, and, and Tennessee is reaping the benefits of it big time. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think about the, the South Carolina game and the Texas A&M game, it felt very similar where they blow a hole open, he's running free for about three, four yards, and then that first dude has no chance because he's either getting shook out or he's getting crushed. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you know, one of the interesting things about Wright is his best friend on the team a year ago was Jalen Hyatt. And, and Hyatt kind of went through a deal where he wasn't dialed into football and he learned from Bayless Jones, who challenged him as Bayless was leaving to go to the Bears and said, hey, you can be a high draft pick if you'll put the work in in the offseason. And, and Jalen Hyatt took that, ran with it, became the Bolitnikoff Award winner and is playing on Sundays for the Giants. Jalen Hyatt told Jalen Wright the same thing after the Clemson game last year. Look, dude, the only thing holding you back is you. Put in the work. If you'll do what I did and you'll commit to it, you're going to be stunned where you are at the end of next year. Jalen Wright took that to heart. He's put in the work. He's had the best offseason of anybody in the running back room, and, and he's now running back one. And and as a result of that, he is, um, you know, he, he's – He's been a huge difference for Tennessee. Everybody talked about him in the offseason, Andy, but you kind of wondered if that, well, okay, is this is this hype or is this real? It's very real as you sit here halfway through the season. 
we've talked about the happy stuff on offense. Now let's <laughs> let's let's go to the passing game because yeah, it's not all sunshine and roses, baby. No, they they threw for a hundred yards against Texas A&M. Still won the game. That will not win them the game against Alabama. What is what is the disconnect? Is it is it that there's no Jalen Hyatt who can take the top off the defense? Is it because there's no more Brew McCoy because he's out for the year, or is it that Joe Milton just isn't the quarterback that Hinton Hooker was? Yes, yes, and yes is probably the answer, and that's yeah. that's not a cop out answer. Um, no, Joe Milton, no, Joe Milton is not Hendon Hooker, and. and it's not just the athletic ability with his legs. I mean, the thing Hendon did so well was he processed very quickly. He could improvise. He could make plays, at, you know, kind of off level, if you will, or, or or whatever the phrase that they're using in college football is now. I mean, off schedule, I think, is the term yeah. that you're looking for there. He, he could make those plays better than Joe Milton. Um, he, he had great football IQ and great situational awareness that sometimes Joe Milton has lapses of that. Now, Hendon wasn't perfect. We all know that. But but he played the game and played this offense um, and processed it better than Joe Milton has to this point. Now, Joe's not got as much help as he needs to get either. Ramel Keaton has dropped two or three touchdown passes, uh, which is so out of character for him. He dropped another wide open one. You have to wonder where his confidence is right now. And you got to wonder about, you know, how much they're pressing. I mean, Joe did a really good job taking care of the ball early in the year. He's got three picks and his last, I think, 54 throws going back to the South Carolina game where he threw two picks and he had one bad pick on Saturday against A&M. Mm -hmm. uh, not, not seen the safety twice on, on two of those three picks in the middle of the field. Is that a press? Is he not reading the field right? I mean, I, I don't know all of those things there. There's a lot of variables but the yeah. bottom line is you're not going to win in the SEC throwing for 100 yards. Joe's got to fundamentally clean some things up. He's got to make better decisions. His receivers have to help him more uh, when they have the opportunity than what they're doing right now as well. Yeah, that pick you're talking about, it's down near the goal line. He had just trucked somebody. It looked like they were basically going to put the game away at that point. And he's, he's got a guy on the outside running a post corner, which is clearly a decoy route because when you start – next to the sideline and wind up in the court. Like you, you can't even put a ball there. So, but I guess the thought was maybe the safety was going to go with that guy, but the safety goes with the, the other guy on the right side, who's running a post over the middle. And Joe just watched, you know, looked at the whole way and threw it to two, two Aggies. Yeah. And the safety never took his eyes off of Joe. I mean, he just played straight up center field. You know, he was looking for the ball coming off the bat, if you will. And, and Joe threw it right to him. And, and those are plays that you can't make. Tennessee's not very good in the red zone right now. That's a real concern going into this game, Andy, when you talk about, you know, the passing game, because you've got to be able to throw it some inside the 20. You can't just line up and run it three times and score in the red zone in this day and age. It just doesn't work that way. Where is the trust factor? Where Where is Joe in tighter windows when you got to make quicker decisions all those things are, are question marks as Tennessee heads to Tuscaloosa because you've got to have some help with the run game. You just, yeah. You're just going to have to. I understand Tennessee can spread you out enough that it's hard to, to, to cram the box, Andy. It's hard to go you know, eight, nine guys in the box when you got people spread out everywhere the way that they do. But at the same time, too, you're going to have to make a play or two in the passing game if you're going to pull this upset off, you, you just you can't be 50 percent completion percentage and 100 yards and think you're going to win a football game on the road against Nick Saban and the, and the Crimson Tide. 
Now, another thing they've got to do is affect Jalen Milrow. But if they play the way they've been playing, they're going to do that. What, uh, James Pierce is an interesting one to me. How has he developed over the past year or so? Because didn't know, you know how he would be this good right now. But where, where did he come from? Well, James is a, is a unique recruitment because Tennessee kind of surprised everybody by getting him to sign early in December. Most people thought that he was going to do something in February and everybody sort of wanted to see his transcript. And then he was going to blow up, I think, in January with a bunch of visits. Tennessee was with him all the way through. They had a, a good academic plan for him that, that he was comfortable with, that he knew what he had to do to get done. And Tennessee was comfortable that he would get it done. So they went ahead and signed him in December and sort of stole him away um, he didn't take a lot of other visits, and he's a guy who had um, a lot of talent and, and a lot of athletic ability. He got to Tennessee. I think year one was year one. He was a freshman trying to figure out his way in college and trying to figure figure out how to play for Rodney Garner, who's an old school three decade veteran in this league. You don't. He's not. He's not really worried about your feelings. Your freshman. He's, he's brutally honest. Yeah, Rodney Garner is. Yes, you know. And so I think there was some adjustment there for, for, for James. Tennessee brought in as a analyst GA, one of those, whatever those categories are. Now he's, he's one of the golf shirt guys on, on, on game day is what I call him. And Robert Ayers, a former Tennessee yeah. player who was a guy who was very immature as a freshman, went on to become a captain under Philip Fulmer his senior year, which kind of surprised all of us who covered Robert for four years. Then he went to the Tampa Bay Bucks as a first late first round draft pick. Had a terrific NFL career in Tampa. He was coaching in high school, wanted to get in and wanted to get his foot in the door in college, and wanted to learn under Rodney Garner. And he comes aboard, and he has been a great mentor to James Pierce, not just about how to play the position, but how to be a student athlete in college. And James Pierce is a guy that everything started clicking for him. This offseason, he and Robert Ayers got close, and he started to understand sort of the, the way thing, the way Rodney Garner did things. And you see, once he gets on the field, the guy's got an elite first step. He's got really violent hands that you don't think are going to be as strong as they are. Uh, his inside swim move has become a really good move when those tackles start to, to set hard on that outside foot. He can really work you inside. They do a nice job with him and some twists and stunts. He's also the last two games gone up against a freshman on the outside. Yeah. And, and guess what? Alabama's Another got freshman. a talented one, but the Proctor kid's a freshman out there. And, and so that'll be an intriguing matchup for Tennessee. Yeah, it's it's interesting because Jalen Milrow is, is one of the rare quarterback where the short and intermediate stuff is sort of hit or miss, but the deep ball is fantastic. Pretty much the only way to keep him from hitting one on you is hit him first. Yes, and, and Tennessee's got to continue to get there. And, uh, you know, they hit uh, Max Johnson on half of his throws, if not a little more than half of his throws on Saturday and made life hard for him. It's not just Pierce. Tyler Barron is another guy who's in his final year, um, what we call a contract year. He's starting to put it all together because he realizes where he's at in the clock. Uh, Omari Thomas, those inside guys are starting to push the pocket pretty good not allowing the quarterback just to step up and, and really step into throws. So it's coming from a lot of different directions. And, you know, in the preseason, a lot of questions about this offensive line. How good were they? How good weren't they? They, they were struggling, you know, in scrimmage settings. 
I think what we're learning is the offensive line is probably a little better than we thought they were going to be based on their run success. And the defensive line's a lot better than we thought. And they were part of the reason why the offense was having some struggle uh, in scrimmages in the preseason. This is a veteran group of defensive linemen who are hungry as can be right now. And, and Rodney Garner's got them playing at a high level. But they'll be, they'll be a big-time challenge for them. I know Alabama's giving up some sacks, but it's different at home. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's different when you play on the road. And, and Tennessee's defensive front is going to have to bring it like they brought it the last two weeks. Well, it's, it's going to be a fun game. Both quarterbacks probably going to get hit a little bit. So I, I can't wait. And uh, we'll, we'll see you in Tuscaloosa, Brent. Yeah, it should be fun. You know, the hidden yards, kicking game. This is a strange deal because last year it was about who had the ball last, right? Mm-hmm. That was the yep. whole point of that game. This game has a little bit of an old school feel for the old, the older <laughs> fan base yeah. who really appreciates the third Saturday in October. You know, kicking the football on fourth and one at midfield might be a right decision. Whereas a year ago, fourth and three at midfield, you were going for it. Going to be a very different type game for coaches to manage on Saturday. Should be fun. Yeah, Nick Saban, probably very comfortable in that type of game. Josh Heifel, he's a little bit new to it, but he's he just he's won one lot. of them last weekend. Yeah, so. he's, a lot, he's a lot new to it, but he figured out how to get one last week. And um, we'll see. I mean, you got to coach, coach this game a little different, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Josh Heupel did play in a game, uh, in a national title game, where the the losing team scored two points, and he was on the winning team. So that's true. He he'll remember remember that from his Bob Stoops playing days. So, <laughs> Brent, thank you so much. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate you, man. See you. Yeah. Bye. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Cannot wait for that game in Tuscaloosa on Saturday. It is going to be a blast. But another game that you should pay attention to on Saturday. Kansas State, TCU, I get it. That's not a game of national title importance. But this is on three. We follow recruiting here. And of course we followed the recruitment of Avery Johnson, the five-star quarterback out of Kansas. You know, you don't get a ton of five-star quarterbacks out of Kansas. Well, he stayed home. He went to Kansas State. And he's played some this year. You saw him in flashes. He is so fast. He ran for five touchdowns against Texas Tech in what seemed like a plan to transition the offense from Will Howard as QB1 to Avery Johnson as QB1. Derek Young of K-State Online joins us to talk about Avery Mania and where it goes from here. Joined now by Derek Young of K-State Online. It is uh, one of those special moments in college football when the five-star freshman quarterback does his first huge things in a game and Avery Johnson, maybe the biggest Kansas state signee ever, ever, ever scores five touchdowns in a win against Texas tech. Derek, what is the buzz like in Manhattan now that they've seen the full Avery? Yeah, well, they they wanted to see him before that, but I think uh, that's probably pretty apparent by the buzz that it's kind of 
resulted as a part of his performance. I mean, it was one of the not just best performances ever by a true freshman, but Avery Johnson in general tied the school record for rushing touchdowns in a game, which, by the way, is was held by his offensive coordinator in Colin yeah. Klein. So that, that makes it kind of interesting in its own right as well. And uh, everyone's going to be pining for him to start this upcoming week when they host TCU in what is a rematch from the Big 12 championship game. Uh, that hasn't been announced yet, but I thought it was at least significant that Coach Kleiman, who tends to be conservative in what he shares to the media and how he addresses his team and his roster, was at least non-committal when asked if it was still Will Howard's team. How did they get to the point where they were sprinkling in more Avery Johnson? Because I, I DM'd you after they lost to Oklahoma State and said, are they going to the kid? And you said, I, I can't, you can't see that happening yet. But a lot of it was Will Howard has been so good for them. Like how hard is it for them to, to, to move if they do make the move? Right. You got to remember, he Will Howard won them a Big 12 championship a year ago uh, against TCU, which is the team that they're about to play this week. So it's, it's really hard, especially it still feels quick to kind of come off the quarterback that led you to your first conference title in about a decade. So it's a tough decision to be had. But I think they knew probably in the back of their minds that something like this was possible because even in the spring, they said, you know, Avery Johnson arrived there early. He was on campus in January. He's good enough to go now. We we have something. They knew even a month of him being on campus that he was someone that, that they could play right away and provide either a spark or some offensive explosiveness. And then throughout training camp in August, I was like, yeah, this has definitely happened. At one point, I had someone tell me what that had seen practices uh, in August. It's like whenever we put him in, even with the ones, it's a touchdown nearly every time. So I think they knew at some point they were going to have no other choice. Unfortunately for Howard, he hasn't been as good this year as he was last year. So he's kind of forcing that decision even a little bit. Avery got in against Missouri, but his Howard's performance against Oklahoma State, I think, ignited this conversation further because Chris Kleiman even admitted they almost played Avery against the, the Cowboys in Stillwater. And they might have won if they had. Because I, and and so let it take us back through Avery Johnson's recruitment because he's an in-state guy, he's a five-star quarterback, you know, top fifty recruit. How how did Kansas State land him when everybody else in the country wanted him too? Yeah, at the end of the day, I think they beat out what Oregon and Washington, but there were even after he committed, there was points where Notre Dame and Florida State were not shying away. They were very interested and in tried to push for him as well. You can probably thank NIL a little bit. The, the the you know NIL being the case probably helped Kansas State in this type of situation of keeping a talent like that at home. And they played it right. Colin Klein and Avery Johnson had a remarkable relationship, and he had Kansas State ties. You know his grandfather really wanted him in Manhattan as well. So it was the benefactor of a local kid that understood in this case the maybe NIL value, but sentimental value of being the hometown hero. Yeah. And it's one of those kind of perfect storm situations too, because it's not just that he's a good quarterback who's from Kansas. He's a good quarterback. Who's from Kansas, who has this like super long hair and like looks like a, a comic book character. And his superpower is speed. Like he looks like the flash when he's running out there. Yeah, you know, there has been some comps thrown out and 
some of them I probably don't fully agree with. And I don't know. I hate the comparison game because you're never going to hit it 100% and you're going to feel like there might be a better one out there. But the Lamar Jackson one is not crazy um, just because you are talking about straight line speed with some wiggle and a guy that's probably known for his legs more than his arm. But if Mm -hmm. you underrate his arm, he will catch it. We're probably going to see that at some point, maybe this week. Well, and that the, the Lamar Jackson comparison is actually not that weird. Only it, it's so much for a young guy, and, and Lamar was so good. So it, even if you start out as poor man's Lamar Jackson and then move on to getting closer to Louisville version of Lamar Jackson, that'll work. That's good enough. But But I agree with you. Because I think that's what happened with Lamar. Like, if you remember his freshman year toward the end of the season, he starts coming in there and they're like, oh, he's the gadget guy. He's the running guy. And then by the end of the, I think he played a bowl game, I believe against Texas A&M and he's chucking it all over the field. And they're like, oh crap, this guy's really, really good. And Avery Johnson is so fast and so scary as a runner. It really limits what you can do in coverage. Yeah. And the speed and the elusiveness and the ability to make guys miss, everyone's like, well, Lamar Jackson was in a, a league of his own on that. And he is, from what we know at this point, and then maybe Michael Vick before him, of course. But if you go back into the recruiting world, you know, they do the Nike Spark score. Mm-hmm. Avery Johnson's almost 20 points higher than Lamar Jackson's. Wow. So we're not out of this world when we're kind of comparing the two. But, yeah, you can't – the arm is there. Like Avery Johnson, yeah. might, his arm might be further along now than what Lamar Jackson's was. But we'll see if we get to see that as the year goes on. I believe that we will. Be another interesting point that you're probably kicking yourself a little bit or you think about what if, if you're a Kansas State fan, you see what Dylan Edwards is doing at Colorado. Uh, him and Avery were committed to Kansas State at the same time. Oh, my God. Well, Dylan also then committed to Notre Dame and then and then flipped. So I don't, I don't know that K-State was going to get him. with. He was kind of looking around. But that is a – can you imagine them in a read option mesh? You're not feeling good as a defense. No, and and you wonder if at some because a lot of guys do. Everyone seems like transfers at least once, right? So you wonder, and a lot of them go back home. I think TCU mm-hmm. and SMU. Think about that with the football haven that is Dallas. They are the benefactors of the transfer portal a lot of times because guys want to go back at home at some point. Yeah, you wonder if that door doesn't at least stay cracked a little bit at some point. Yeah, well, the and the thing with Avery that that I think is interesting is is he came in so hyped. But Will Howard was there. And so nobody was saying, you got to start this guy immediately. But it is interesting that you mentioned, because Chris Kleiman is very conservative. The idea that he would do this. What do you think it was in the Texas Tech game that made him say, all right, we are, we're going to go with the kid more? I wonder if it wasn't the plan already going in and, and seeing what the looks were from Texas Tech. Because they said Texas Tech was giving them looks that they knew was going to be conducive to the quarterback run game. But it seemed like it was kind of scripted. Will Howard's getting two drives. Unless he's setting the world on fire and scoring touchdowns in both of them, we're going to Avery Johnson. So it seemed premeditated. Now, I say Chris Kleiman is conservative, but it's in the way that he handles his personnel. He's not going to make brash decisions too quickly. But he is the same guy that, you know, has changed his complete offensive philosophy from the time that he arrived in Manhattan changed his entire defensive scheme and switched to offensive coordinators and switched to Colin Klein. And in doing so, did have to fire his best friend and Courtney Messingham. 
This is true. This is true. And the Colin Klein piece of it is interesting too, because while Colin Klein was not as fast as Avery Johnson, he was a dual threat quarterback and, and Bill Snyder loved offenses that allowed the quarterback to run. I, I still, I'd love to know what Michael Bishop would have looked like in today's offenses. They were so far ahead of their time, but Klein, you know, learned from, from Bill Snyder has been that guy. How much does that help as a play caller for somebody like this? I think it helps in general, especially from Colin Klein, knowing what it's like to be a quarterback at Kansas State and having that pressure on you to be, you know, because you're expected, even though it's Kansas State, you're expected to be a Big 12 champion at some point if you're Avery mm-hmm. Johnson. So, and Colin Klein was that uh, when he won a Big 12 championship in Manhattan. They just won the Big 12 championship last year. And I think some of the, I wouldn't say panic or hesitation or lack of hesitation. I think some of being so willing to go to Avery Johnson this early in the season, because it's unfolded. Like I had a feeling that we were going to get to this point, but I didn't think it would be so soon, but you got to remember that there were some lofty expectations for Kansas state before this season that they were expected to compete for another big 12 championship for potentially the second consecutive season. And when that starts to fade away as being a potential outcome, I think you're more willing to kind of roll the dice. Yeah, and and so let's talk about what what they are going for. Now, they've only lost one Big 12 game, so they're not out of it. They do play Texas, which already has a Big 12 loss. That feels like that would be the one. The Missouri loss was was bad, and and obviously, what are you going to do when Harrison Mevis hits a field goal from Arkansas to to win it? (laughs) Yeah, but... You know, it, it, it's it's still out there for them if they want it. They just have to win everything left on the schedule. Yeah, you know, win everything on their schedule. But that's why that Texas Tech game, and I remember I was on a show prior to that game during the week, and someone mentioned it as a loser leaves town game, which it really was. You, It felt like the winner of that Kansas State-Texas Tech game, considering what they had left on the schedule and who they had left on the schedule, had a pretty grand opportunity in front of them especially since you, you basically eliminate the other team in that contest. So I think Kansas State puts themselves at least – you don't have to say, oh, we have no chance now. You can squint and say, man, TCU and Houston look at home look pretty winnable. And all of a sudden, if we do get those games. You're 4-1 and one in the Big 12 with the game at Texas coming up next on a schedule. Guess what? That's exactly where Kansas State was last year. They were 4-1 and one in the Big 12 when they were about to face Texas. Now they lost that game, and they, they they actually have a long line of losses in a row to Texas. And, of course, they won nothing better to send the Longhorns out of the Big 12 with the no. Well, I think I think that would be very well-received by everyone in the Big 12 office as well because right now they're, they're not relishing the possibility of an Oklahoma-Texas Big 12 championship game, which is what it looks like is going to happen. But you're right because TCU and, and Houston are very winnable games. And then you go into that Texas game, and if you can beat them, then you can, like Baylor, Kansas, and Iowa State's not a given, especially not Kansas or Iowa State at this point. But it's doable. There's a path. And I'm just, what did the mood change from, you know, post Oklahoma State game in Manhattan to post Texas Tech game? Yeah, post Oklahoma State, it was like if you want the fan base, uh, their take, they yeah. thought that there was absolutely no way that they were going to crawl back from the depths of the season because you know how fans are. And I tried to walk this, walk them back a little bit from the ledge, but you just can't um, once that happens because the, 
I mean, everyone thought Oklahoma State was kind of not good at all. I thought they were done. Now they've beaten both Kansas schools and, and we're like, oh, Mike Gundy's risen from the dead. So. Yeah, it's very Mike Gundy of them to do that, by the way. Um, but now you say, oh, maybe the Oklahoma State loss wasn't a bad. Now you look at what Missouri did and be like, oh, maybe that loss wasn't as bad. It took a 61-yard field goal and you lose that game on the road. So you go from losing and everyone expecting what they saw in Stillwater for that performance to be repeated every week and having no hope. So now all of a sudden oh, we beat a pretty good Texas Tech team on the road who's probably just pretty unlucky with how their season has unfolded, especially their schedule and what they had to do. And now you have, you know, a lot of winnable games. The only game you can say, man, I don't know how we're going to do this is at Texas. Everything else appears very realistic at this point. So everybody's excited about Avery Johnson, but what else do they need to clean up? to make this possible, to make it possible to go into Austin with a chance to really have, you know, be in the mix in the big 12. I got to form some kind of passing game that seems to have faded from the, uh, their, their ability the last two weeks. And really they, they picked up a big receiver transfer in the off season and Keegan Johnson from Iowa. I mean, they took him over Notre Dame and Texas A&M and he just hasn't been healthy enough or confident enough and, some of his past injuries that have lingered for him to really surface. And I think that really could ignite the passing offense because I don't know without him becoming what they thought he would become and what he was at times throughout the offseason. I don't know how they can turn around that because I think there might be an issue just personnel wise at the receiver position defensively, man, down to down, you feel really good about what they are doing. It's just like those four or five plays a game in a, in a game where, their youth and inexperience surfaces. And you know how that is. You, yeah. you, you lose focus for one bit and you miss a run fit or you're not where you're supposed to be because you haven't played enough football yet at this level or seen enough offensive looks at this level and you're just not in the right spot and boom, it's an 80-yard play. So their consistency is actually there. It's just like they need the experience and more reps and snaps because what they're missing is the ability to prevent the big play. Well, I, I'm very excited to watch because this this changes everything, I think, for Kansas State season. Avery Johnson, you, you love it because the, the they're always they always come in as the folk hero, but then sometimes it takes a while to develop. Sometimes they're not what they were advertised to be. It seems like he is. And I'm telling you folks, if you have not watched him play yet, watch K-State TCU. <laughs> this is it's something to see. Derek Young, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Andy. Thanks to Derek Young. I cannot wait to see how that Kansas State quarterback situation plays out this weekend. You just get excited when there's a five-star freshman that's playing and maybe maybe as good as we thought he was going to be. It's just it's fun. It makes it more fun. The opposite of fun is our extra point. The 10th congressional hearing since 2020 on NIL happened on Tuesday in the Senate Judiciary Committee. And as usual, much time was wasted. Uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Senator, buddy of Nick Saban, said, it's just hard to root for the kids when they're multimillionaires as freshmen and sophomores. The, the ratings say otherwise, Joe. They're up. It's apparently easier. So don't say stuff like that. There was one very intelligent thing spoken during this hearing. John Kennedy, Republican senator from Louisiana, mentioned this. 
I would strongly encourage you and your colleagues to try to get together and come up with a new system for us to consider, he said, speaking to the NCAA and schools. It looks like somebody designed it on purpose. You may regret asking Congress to intervene here. All of a sudden, you're going to be micromanaged. That's right. That's why successful businesses do not lobby the government to tell them how to run their business. Schools in the NCAA would be wise to consider that counsel. Come up with your own plan. Stop asking Congress to bail you out because they won't. They will make your lives miserable. They're warning you. They're telling you. Members of Congress are telling you that they'll make your lives miserable. So fix it yourselves. It's not, it's not going to be the end of the world. You'll figure it out. You're all smart people getting paid lots and lots of money. You'll figure it out. Tomorrow, Pick Show, Richard Johnson from the Split Zone Duo Podcast and Sports Illustrated will join us to help pick a bunch of games. Obviously, the headliners, Tennessee, Alabama, Penn State, Ohio State. We're getting close, getting close. Can I improve on my right? We have that graphic out again. I went five and three this week against the spread on that graphic. You get bonus picks in the show. You can figure out if I'm above 500, below 500. But you decide if you want to follow or fade me. I'm, I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm just going to put them out there, and you decide what you want to do with that information. It'll be a fun pick show, I promise. Richard is great. We'll talk to you tomorrow.